Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. These words are from my colleague, the Reverend Sharon Wiley. It is said that ministers are here to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I say we are all afflicted and we are all comfortable. May our time together this morning be a comfort and a confrontation. May we here find peace in times of tumult. May we here invite tumult into lives of peace. May we here find calm in times of restlessness. May we here allow restlessness to evolve into action. Let this be the place you consider what you've never considered. Let this be the place you imagine for yourself something new and unthinkable. May this hour bring dreams of new ways of being in the world. Come, let us worship together. Muslims across the world greet each other and those around them every single day with this greeting. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings be with you all this morning. Good morning. It is tremendous honor to be with you this morning. It's a privilege. When I was asked by Justin to come and to speak to you, it's always an opportunity to, to bring people together, but it's even a better opportunity to be invited and to speak in front of people who gather every day or every week. Today I want to talk to you briefly about one of the challenges that America is struggling with. And that challenge is acceptance of what is so defined as new people. When I'm asked to speak about Islamophobia, and particularly about anti-Muslim sentiment in the United States, I'm often reminded that many people struggle with the understanding of why. So I ask this question, what is not different about Islamophobia? And the reality is, Islamophobia and what we're seeing today is no different than when what many of your grandparents or families or communities have gone through in this country. In fact, every single claim against Muslims today that seems to be existing in spaces have been claimed against another community in America by, regrettably sometimes, the same community that has went through it is now repeating it against another community. When I travel across the state of Minnesota, I often encounter a lot of conversations. I was in Bemidji about a year ago and went to speak there. And as I was speaking to the community, obviously there are people there who had a very anti-Muslim sentiment, feelings, and understandings. So out of the plan of God, my car broke down in Bemidji. Nothing wrong. (laughs) 
nothing, nothing wrong about breaking, you know, if your car breaks down in northern Minnesota, trust me, it's a blessing. Uh, you always want to get stuck up there, right? And I ha had this encounter um, at a mechanic shop. There was a gentleman, older, came up to me and he said, you're that smooth talker. You know, you know what that means, right? So I was like, okay. I was like, well, did you hear about the event? And he's like, I was there. So I said, okay. I said, well, do you have any questions? And uh, we talked for a little bit. And the one thing that I found that struck with him was explaining the story of the people who look like me today in Minnesota, Somalis or East Africans. And I explained to him that there are probably more Somalis in Pelican Rapid, Minnesota than the entire north uh, eastern part of, the, of Minnesota. So probably more than Duluth's population, more than Alexandria, more than name all those larger cities in kind of the Arrowhead area. And I said the reason why is because they found that place to be home and they found jobs and they're living there. And that struck a chord with him. And he told me something profounding. He, he said that he came to the event that I was at to counter-organize my speech. And after our conversation, he realized, and he told me this, he said, I wish your people were more engaging us because we all have been misinformed by anti-Muslim speakers who are coming to our town. He didn't say anti-Muslim speakers. But. And it's interesting, I come across a lot of people who are very similarly situated with this gentleman who came to an event to counter-organize, but with one conversation one interaction was able to switch completely to the opposite side. Um, and he started to offer me, like, help, can I give you a ride? I think I know another mechanic, you know. Um, and I didn't, ex I mean, you don't expect that from someone who started the conversation with your smooth talker and I organized against you to having a conversation about, <laughs> I'm going to help you. So today I know this congregation is probably more socially justice-oriented than most communities. I'm not going to bore you with all the horrible things that are happening. I want to spend the next few minutes with you to talk about um, what can we do to reverse what's happening. So I'm actually working on a book, and I have a help from a Unitarian, by the way, all the good folks. Um, number one, the exercise of challenging Islamophobia is not helping Muslims. It's healing America. So the idea of defending Muslims is reowning the spaces and the environments and our community and our spaces. So therefore, I read to you a verse this morning from the Quran which talks about this idea of coexistence, that God has created us into different people, which is the problem with Islamophobia and xenophobia. We want to say we don't want to be different, but God created us to be different. And the idea of this difference is to coexist and to get to know each other. And to get to know each other means you have to actually spend time to talk to people who do not agree with you, who are much different than you. We are in a time today in America, we are so polarized that we only feel comfortable speaking to someone who completely agrees with us. 
whether it's MSNBC and Fox News, we've created a two America that are shouting at each other. So here's the three or four tips that I want to leave with you today. The first one is become a listener. Listening is the most powerful tool in advocacy that is leastly, that's least used, almost non-existent. We've never learned how to listen. I mean, you're kind of head nodding and kind of looking at me, but you might be on your lake cabin right now or, <laughs> or worried about if you close your window and it's going to rain or something, right? <laughs> the act of listening requires deep, actually letting go whatever you're thinking about and completely listening to the other person. Head nodding, saying aha, those are things that we say to just let the other person know we're listening, but that, that may not mean that we're actually listening. One of the most powerful ways of listening one of the effective reasons why you should listen to people is you allow them to actually dump out what they're wrestling with so they can actually listen to you. Just think of your child or children who just come out and like, they want to just say all these things and you're like, no, no, I need you to clean your hands and they're not ready to listen to you until they tell you everything. Then they're like, okay, there's nothing more I can say. Now I'm more than likely to to listen to you. So listening is, I think, essential in, the, in today's conflict-written society that we find ourselves in. So the next time you find somebody who is so different than you, make the effort to try to listen. And listening is a tool, it's an exercise that requires constant engagement and constant reminding that we need to do more of understanding how to be a better listener. It doesn't take one conversation, it doesn't take one time, it doesn't take, in fact, the, 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 the greatest way to know that you are a better listener is when you are in a conversation when you want to get out of it. Right? That's when it really matters to be a better listener. And the conversation where you are already ready to make a very strong opinion. We need to listen to each other so we can hear each other. In fact, the greatest people who speak about listening, they mention this one thing, listen for what's not being said. The second thing is, which is the opposite of listening, is to understand speaking up is not a reaction. We have become a community that only reacts to certain things. When it comes to anti-Muslim sentiment, people are ready to respond after a major hate crime. People are ready to share their loves and thoughts, and, and that's good. But in order to solve a problem, we have to speak about it all the time. Dr. King recognized that, and, and, and his effort, he tried to not silence the KKK or, or, or correct them or get them to, he focused on getting the majority of people to recognize that speaking up is what we needed. St. Cloud, for example, today has one of the largest anti-Muslim sentiments and issues that happen. Yes, there is a lot, but St. Cloud suffers from what America suffers from. I lived in St. Cloud, and majority of people in St. Cloud are good people hard workers, but those majority have chosen to be silent. And here in the Midwest, we do a lot of this passive-aggressive, well, I don't know if I'm going to get myself into this, right? And so if you want to challenge Islamophobia, then Islamophobia has to be a problem that you want to address for, for America, not for the Muslims. And we cannot be reactionary just to issues. We have to speak about it all the time racism, and all these other issues that we're addressing. And that means 
we have to do things that are a little bit uncomfortable. Speaking up all the time, speaking up when it's necessary, speaking up when it's quiet, knowing that you need to use your voice more powerfully and more uh, attentively. The third thing that I want to leave you with today, which I think it's really, really required now, as I speak to you today, is that faith can no longer be, faith communities can no longer be at 1.0 level, which is we're just kind of around, show up to rallies. Faith communities today are more responsible than ever to stand up and hold the ethical boundary lines of our society. And I personally believe when I speak to Muslims and they talk about anti-Muslim sentiment within my community and what's happening, many of them are just so excited about the idea of sharing with others and, 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 and talking about who they are and where they're from. And that's because they're trying to live out this verse that I mentioned to you today. For us, diversity is not just a mere object of good feelings. It is a commandment from God to drive diversity and to have people be connected with each other and to, to love one another and to be different and still live amongst each other. For us, it's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of principle or idea. It's a matter of living out our faith. And I believe today faith communities are start, we're starting to start a little, you know, little, but I think we're, we're, we're too comfortable in allowing faith communities to only exist in, in these spaces. We have to be able to take our effort and our work and make it part of our daily life to be able to speak up and stand up against these things and say, this is part of my faith. I'm taking my Sunday service out there. Lastly, I want to say that if you think you don't matter, you do. The reason why many of us choose not to lead is because we think we don't matter. It's a different way of looking at things. Everyone in this room is not a leader, but everyone in this room can lead. And today we need leadership. If you've never thought you were in the front of the line or you never stood in front of one of these podiums or you never did anything leadership behind the scenes, this is the time. And if you think somebody else is going to do it, trust me, that other person is just like you. We need more leaders in our society today and in our communities. Don't wait for the other person to do what is so necessary to be done today. So I encourage all of you, and I ask all of you to consider yourself as a leader. If you don't see yourself as a leader, you will never lead anything. That first is your stop, you, you, you are the first block to your own leadership. And leadership is not about uh, leading people. Leadership is about role modeling what you think is needed in our society today. And every great effort was started by that one first person, one first group of people, one first uh, individual. And so I personally believe this story that you can find in any cul-de-sac somewhere in America five children who get up every single morning and those five children can trace back their ancestors to five different continents. 
And as they ride together to the school bus every single day, they see each other as Americans. They see each other as neighbors. They see each other as friends. This is the test I believe that America is wrestling with that we refuse to acknowledge. And I believe that this test is a test that can, can be a remarkable victory for mankind. If we can reflect back to the world that we can coexist in our tiny cul-de-sacs, which I don't like cul-de-sacs if you're an urban planner, <laughs> but for the purposes of community, cul-de-sacs look good. But if we, if we can perfect that, imagine what that means for countries like China to see an Asian man or woman be the president of the United States. What does that mean for the world tensions when people live across invisible lines in North Korea and South Korea? What does that mean for them and other people around the world who are struggling with this idea of coexistence that today we're wrestling with here in Edina, right, or South Minneapolis? So I believe this work is not just for us, it's for mankind and for humanity if we can take that responsibility and own it up to it and make it a reality. Who is going to finish Dr. King's dream and make it a real reality for all of us? I spoke to a principal in, or not principal, but a superintendent in St. Cloud, and he told me this. He said, I wish my high schoolers acted like my kindergartners. He said, when I walk into the kindergarten class, I see the Somali kids and the kids from all different colors playing with each other, living amongst each other, and then I walk into my high schools and I see two hallways and, and people who are not seeing each other in ways that is dignifying and meaningful. But I'm very hopeful. I believe that there are good people in this world that will stand up and answer the call. And I believe that good people are people who are in these pews this morning. So as I leave you with this, if we talk to each other, if we connect with each other, if we get to know one another, we may even have a Ludafis Sambuse. <laughs> okay, I, I see some head noddings and like, no. By the way, I get that all the time. People are like, no, let it go. <laughs> Ludafix Sambuse. So if you ever had a, how many of you had a Sambuse? Okay, oh, like a South Minneapolis, look at those. <laughs> Whenever you go up north, talk about the Sambusa. Don't talk about Islamophobia. Just be like, have you had a Sambusa? And then bring a Sambusa with you. And mention it that a Swede made it, okay? So just so that that one person you were talking to is like, oh, I never heard Swedes making this. And I'm like, well, it's actually Somali. Oh my goodness, I had something Somalis made, right? <laughs> but I, I, I really mean that. I believe that if we talk together, work together, we can create something wonderful. And we can actually revive the Ludafis. Uh, in, in ways that are very tastefully. <laughs> with that, I am really humbled to be with you this morning. Uh, I encourage all of you to not be reactive or proactive. I encourage all of you to be leaders, and most importantly, I ask all of us to become listeners so that others can listen to us.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the Universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.